Welcome to Create Photography, a podcast all about the creative side of photography. This is Daniel Sig. In today's episode, I want to talk about color theory, color for our motion, and color as a compositional element. I've thought quite a bit about this episode, and I was thinking maybe this is getting too theoretical and too technical, but I think color is so important, and these models have some place, so let's let's just get into it. It is an understatement to say that color is important. In fact, it is of utmost importance to photography. And we see in color, as Jay Meisel says, Color is. Today's photographs are typically taken in color, although many photographic artists still choose to photograph in black and white occasionally, some of them exclusively. The difference between a color photograph and a black and white photograph is in some ways like night and day. They are just two different techniques. I think a color photograph evokes a different emotion and potential connection with the viewer than a black and white photograph. I talked about the creative choice of black and white photography in greater detail in episode 8, so feel free to check that out. So, color is important, but why is color theory important? One could argue we do not need to know about color theory in order to make good or even great photographs, and I would wholeheartedly agree. I think it is important to understand how the color models can help us perhaps more deliberately understand what might work in a picture, perhaps even determine a color palette, or perhaps even be more deliberate about composition, as well as editing of our imagery. So my disclaimer here is that we will do a little theoretical excursion, but I do believe it is an important and useful one, and one that we will in the end bring to some practical application with several image examples and discussions at the end. Color models. First, let's start with the expression hue, saturation, and luminance. This is the so-called HSL model, hue, saturation, and luminance. It is also referred to as the HSB model, hue, saturation, and brightness. There is also the RGB, red, green, blue model, used in cameras and computer screens, the CMYK model, used for printing and by graphic designers, and the LAB model, used not as often in my personal experience at least. Each of these models have the ability to precisely define a color by the model's values. Again, in the HSL model, this would be the value of hue, the amount of saturation and the amount of luminance. We'll talk about those definitions in a second. In the CMYK model, it would be the amount of cyan, magenta, yellow and K, which stands for the amount of black. In so-called additive color models, such as the HSL or RGB model, white is the additive combination of all primary colored lights, while black is the absence of light. The CMYK model is the opposite. It is a subtractive color model. 
White is the natural color of the paper, while black results from a full combination of colored inks. To save ink cost and to produce deeper black tones, unsaturated colors and dark colors are used by using black ink instead of a combination of cyan, magenta, and yellow in the CMYK model. So why is additive versus subtractive important? In brief, and pragmatically speaking, the RGB and HSL models are models used for backlit screens like computers or mobile phones, while the subtractive models like the CMYK models are used for printing as well as for painting. Let's get back to the HSL model or hue, saturation, luminance or lightness model. What is hue? Hue is the relative color value of each color. So a yellow has a certain value and there are even different values with the yellows. Saturation is how strong the color is, like a color pigment that is stronger versus weaker. Often it is said that the more gray there is, the less saturated. However, painters know that this is not entirely true. One has to add the complementary color, the color opposite the color wheel, and we'll talk about the color wheel in a second, to the color to be desaturated. So the more complementary color added, the less saturated the actual primary color or the color we're working with. Luminance is a photometric measure of the luminous intensity per unit area of light traveling in a given direction. It describes the amount of light that passes through, is emitted from or is reflected from a particular area and falls within a given solid angle. Luminance intensity is measured as candela, which actually means candle, and is in a sense the power emitted from a light source. The confusing thing is that luminance can be emitted from or reflected. So luminance is an objective physical measure. Brightness is actually subjective. Brightness is the term for the subjective impression of the objective luminance measurement standard. There is one further term, luminosity or lightness. Luminosity or lightness is our perception of luminance compared to white. I know this gets now really confusing, but one way to remember this are the so-called luminosity masks used in Photoshop that are always in black and white, so they do not have color information. So let's summarize. Luminance is the light or luminous intensity per area in a given direction. It is an objective measure and measured with candela. Brightness is the subjective impression of luminance. For example, a computer screen in a dark room appears much brighter than outside in the sunlight. The luminance is the same in both cases, but we feel that in the dark, the computer screen is much brighter. So brightness is the subjective thing. Now let us discuss the color wheel. The color wheel is a circle that has each primary color, blue, red, yellow, separated by 120 degrees. Now that's the primary color in the RGB model. In between blue and red is purple. In between red and yellow is orange. And in between yellow and blue is green. Those are secondary colors. In between the secondary and primary colors, there are the so-called tertiary colors. For example, cyan is a tertiary color in this model. 
These in-between colors could be shown as slices or simply and more correctly as gradients. Please look in the show notes for a depiction of the color wheel. DanielSigPhotography.com forward slash color. You can also go to color.adobe.com and use an interactive color tool that also depicts various color models discussed. I would suggest to do this in the HSB mode, which is similar to the HSL that we just uh, discussed earlier. Why is the color wheel a powerful tool to understand color theory? Because we can look at it and quickly understand related colors and complementary colors. For example, if you look at the wheel, you can see the orange and blue are directly complementary. So are green and red. So if you compose images with those color pairs, we can create substantial color contrast. We will get to the emotional aspect of this later on. There are several color relationships or color harmony rules. I won't discuss them all, but just want to touch briefly on three of them that are common and useful. Monochromatic, complementary, and analogous. Monochromatic basically means is we only have one color or, or shades of that particular color in the image, and that's a monochromatic image. Complementary are opposites on the color wheel, like orange and blue. Analogous are next to each other on the color wheel, like yellow, orange, and red. Now this is all very theoretical. However, if you start consciously using those concepts more deliberately, you can create some powerful imagery based on color composition and choice. A common use of complementary color is photographing artificial tungsten light during blue hour. The orange tones of the tungsten lights complement the blue tones of the skies very nicely. And I'm sure you've seen many, many cityscape and skyline images using this very same principle. A fruit bowl with yellow, orange and red fruit will look very pleasing to the eye due to its use of analogous colors. Now, what is missing on the generic color wheel? In a generic color wheel, we typically have one set brightness or luminance value. It's a 2D model, two-dimensional model. In other words, we have to adjust the brightness for the entire wheel in order to see all the possible colors. Again, I suggest to go to color.adobe.com and play around with the color wheel initially in the HSB mode. In order to better understand how color also can relate to black and white, it might be helpful to look at a three-dimensional model and transform our two-dimensional model of a flat wheel into a sphere. Recall that saturation is the relative amount of gray in a color, well, more precisely, the complementary color in the color, with the least amount of gray producing the most saturated colors. While luminance or luminosity is the relative amount of white in a color, with 100% luminescence being white. So now imagine that our color wheel is on the equator of this sphere. However, only the most saturated colors are on the actual surface of this sphere. So we can also imagine it as a globe, actually. As we go deeper and deeper to the center of the sphere, the colors become less saturated or more gray until they eventually become completely gray. The North Pole of the globe is pure black and the South Pole is pure white. 
The line connecting North and South Pole is a gradient of grays from deep black to bright white. I know that's difficult to visualize, but I encourage you to review those two color models in the show notes at danielsigphotography.com forward slash color. Let's now talk about how to intentionally use some of this theory and apply it to our photography. The great photographer Jay Meisel, who will be featured in a future episode, said, and I quote, Some have said that if you take a great picture in color and take away the color, you'll have a great black and white picture. But if you're shooting something about color and you take away the color, you'll have nothing, end quote. Jay also said, don't make plans to photograph in color. Don't look for one kind of color. You'll walk past great color while you're trying to complete your plans, end quote. So Jay is basically telling us that we should be patient and not force it. The color will come to us if we're open to it. Jay is definitely advocating an intuitive and probably also spontaneous element in photography, which I think is very, very important. His advice comes from somebody doing a ton of natural light photography in nature and on the streets. So in other words, I think it's good to be aware of this color theory, but also do not overthink it. Emotions. Colors can evoke emotions. The first concept to mention is the one of cooler, calmer tones and warmer, restless, more excited tones. The greens and blues and purples tend to be cooler, while the reds, yellows and oranges tend to be warmer, more excited. So warmer tones might help with implying or evoking happiness, love, red is often associated with love, exaltation, excitement, energy, while cooler tones can evoke sadness, loss, loneliness, but also peace and calm. While those are generalizations, pay attention to ads or commercials, and you will notice that colors are used very deliberately along those lines. The same is true for movies. Those of us who know a little bit about filmmaking know that there are professional colorists who do nothing else but help to adjust color tones of cinematic movies or TV shows. Check out movies like The Matrix, for example, or A Star is Born, and pay attention to the incredible color work. The second concept about color is the emotions that juxtaposing different colors create. If we juxtapose complementary colors, we create substantial contrast and potentially tension in the image. Putting analogous or monochrome colors next to each other is pleasing and may transcend the underlying color emotion of its family, warm or cold primarily. Of course, increasing saturation often has the effect of increasing the drama, in particular if we have more complementary colors. Jay Meisel discusses another important aspect of juxtaposition in his book Light, Color and Gesture, and I quote, We are concerned with the totally opposite aspect of color. We have to be aware of subtractive color. For instance, if I wish to make a neutral gray look warmer, I could put it next to a very cool green. If I wanted to turn a brown cooler, I would juxtapose it with a warm red. In each, the association with the second color changes the first color." End quote. So here you have an example of somebody who I think is very intuitive in their approach, still uses a quite deliberate 
approach in their composition and how they're using color in an actually fairly nuanced and complex way. So the complexity here is also that the colors do not only affect each other, but also how we perceive a color if it is juxtaposed to another color. And also how individual color perception can be. As Chase says, color is, that's it, it's all out there. What's important is to stay open to it, end quote. So what we learn here from color theory is that it is helpful to know warmer and cooler colors and color relationships. And it is also helpful to know and be aware of the very subjective element of color perception. Often, as photographers, we cannot change the colors we are presented, although we can still change the composition or what might be the focus point. Or we can choose to remove the color if it is distracting and not adding to the image and make the image black and white. Composition. Color is an extremely powerful compositional element in photography. You can use, for example, more saturated colors in an image to guide the viewer in that image to that particular area of higher saturation. But be careful to not overdo it. One of the most common mistakes is to have too much saturation in images. You can use saturation and hue to change or modulate the mood. Again, pay attention to cinematic movies and you will notice how color science is used extremely deliberately. Another movie with strong and, in my opinion, fantastic color grading and cinematography is Blade Runner 2049. Consistency. Now let's talk about another important aspect of color photography as it relates to our work, consistency. Within either a body of work, like a project or an assignment, it often helps to keep the color palette consistent. Look at the color work of Saul Leiter, for example. We talked about Saul in episode 7, if you want to check it out and learn more about him. It's at danielsickphotography.com forward slash episode 007. So if we create a body of work or a project, having a consistent color palette greatly helps the viewer to recognize this work as belonging together. If the color palette is all over the place and nothing holds the series together, we may have a hard time keeping the viewer focused on our series. Even if the subjects vary widely and the compositions, and maybe even if we have different focal lengths that we used, but the color palette is similar, we have a creative tool to keep things consistent with the color and the consistent color palette. I think this can be very powerful. Of course, painters may work with a certain color palette as well. It might be easier for them as they can choose the colors. But we as photographers can also influence our color palette. For example, by choosing the time of day we photograph. Many photographers like to photograph during golden hour. That would give us consistently warmer tones in our imagery. We can choose to process the digital file in Lightroom or Photoshop and give it a certain color treatment. I would vouch for not being too heavy-handed on that, and I personally favor to get things right in camera, but there's definitely a place to do some color correction in post or post-processing. 
As film photographers, we can work with a specific film stock that gives us a certain look and a certain color palette. That alone, of course, is not enough, and we need to pay attention to what colors we do choose to photograph if we are working on a project, and how we ultimately select the images, especially for a series. I think having awareness of color palettes in our images is extremely important in color photography. With that awareness, we should go out and try and risk things, make mistakes and see what ultimately works. Eventually, I would suggest to print our work out and put it next to each other and see if we can create a small project with a consistent color palette. To wrap this up, a couple things. So I encourage you to do Google image searches and search for the following photographers and maybe see if you see some consistency in their work with regards to their color palette. So one of them would be Saul Leiter. Another one would be Ernst Haas, H-A-A-S. Another one would be Luigi Giri, G-H-I-R-R-I. And the last one would be Annie Leibowitz, L-E-I-B-O-W-I-T-Z. Maybe you can also look for some use of monochromes or use of analogous colors or complementary colors and kind of see if you can recognize those types of color harmonies in their work. And so to wrap it up, I'd like to discuss three different images with regards to their use of color and color harmony. Let's start with the image by Jay Meisel. And the image is in his book, It's Not About the F-Stop. And it's on page 75. And I'm not sure if the image actually has a title, but I will link to it in the show notes at danielsickphotography.com forward slash color. So the image is basically showing a traffic light that's on orange, and it is during blue hour. So it has this example of having an orange and a blue as the primary colors. In fact, these are the only colors in this image. It's very minimalistic. And we see the silhouette of two birds on the image. And they're basically black. And so is the traffic light. So we have the blue sky, the orange traffic light, and then those silhouettes of the birds. One of the birds is actually in the traffic light itself. It's actually a pretty cool image in my opinion. But what makes this image so powerful in my opinion is the composition for one, but then also the very, I don't want to say deliberate use, but you know, it is the use of, in this case, complementary colors. So we have orange and blue. There's a stark contrast between the two. And we are, even though it's such a simple composition, I think it's an image you just keep looking at because it is just so interesting. You got the silhouette of this bird in this traffic light and then the other bird sitting on the traffic light in with the blue background. And we got the bird with the orange um, silhouette or, or with um, orange background. So, so that's an image by Che Meisel that has 
the use of complementary colors, in this case, orange and blue. So the next image is also by Jay Meisel, and it is from his book, Light, Gesture and Color. It is on page 185, and it's called Red with Silhouette Figures. This is an image that is basically all in red monochrome. It's almost the same hue, although there are some subtle differences. So I would call it a monochrome image. We do not really see any other colors. There might be a slight brown, but you know, I'm, I haven't obviously analyzed it and I don't have a digital version of it to really analyze the color spectrum, which by the way, you can also do on adobe.color.com. So if you have a, a JPEG image, you can actually import it and you can analyze the color palette of your image, which is actually a very cool thing and a very cool feature on color.adobe.com. So going back to the image by Jay Meisel, Red with Silhouette Figures, um, we have a, a street scene. We have a traffic light or part of a traffic light. It says, don't walk in red. And then there is a red wall behind that that takes most of the image so and creates a lot of negative space. And then we have on the lower left, we have two silhouetted people, presumably people waiting to walk, uh, crosswalk, but we don't see that. That's all implied. This image is powerful because the don't walk is typically, right, we see that in red, so to stop is red, and the whole image now is red. So we kind of, he kind of, in a way, amplified that redness <laughs> of not walking uh, in this image, which I think is very cool. The image looks very artistic. The composition is very simplistic, but very powerful. We have those two silhouettes in the lower left, and then we have the traf traffic light on the upper right. In between, we have a ton of this negative space, and it's all in monochrome. So, you know, is this an image about color? Maybe. Maybe it is, but not only, for sure. Would it be cool in black and white? Yes. I think it would still be a very cool and strong black and white image, but I think it is the color that just brings it to that next level, in my opinion. Great example of a monochrome image. The last image I want to review is by Ernst Haas, H-A-A-S, also one of my favorites. It's called Rainy Reflection. It was taken in 1952. It is in his book, New York in Color, 1952 to 1962. And it is on page 150. This is an example, in my opinion, of analogous colors. So we see yellows, reds, oranges, and possibly some purples in this image. Now, what's very interesting about the purple, so the purple is still part of analogous colors to reds and oranges, so it's really close to the red. And when I was reviewing this image, I'm just typically, when I'm reviewing it, I look at it usually 
in a book I have, so I copy not online necessarily, but in the online version, the purple is much more pronounced, so I actually do not know if that was intended. My sense is that the original colors and the book is much more true to what was intended by the artist. So my sense is there wasn't that much purple, but either way, it's still analogous colors, but that's just a little side note about representation in different media and how certain colors come come out or do not come out depending on what you're looking at and where you're looking at it. So that's another, can be an issue actually. So back to the image. It is very painterly. We don't see a whole lot, but we do see a reflection of a st- on a street, we see one person walking. We actually only see the lower half of the person's body. We see that the surface of the street is is wet. And that wet surface, and we talked about this in the physics uh, episode. Now, this wet surface is actually reflecting... Um, it's, it looks like the sky that is very orange and some buildings that are probably red, but we can barely make that out. And I'm kind of interpreting that a little bit, but that, that's kind of what I see. I might also, we might also see a reflection of a, a street light possibly in the frame, but most of it is very abstract. And we have these different tones of reds, oranges, up to yellows. And um, we have a lot of negative space as well. That's basically it. So, so it's a very artistic image, but we still know it is some sort of a street scene. You know. So again, this image leaves a lot of room for interpretation, but that also makes it so interesting. I personally love this image. It's it's just fantastic. I love the work by Ernst Haas and Jay Meisel. Um, I think they're both fantastic photographers, super inspiring. So, so I will uh, definitely review some of Ernst Haas's work as well in the future in, in more detail and talk more about him as well. So that was basically it. So here we have an example of analogous color use in an image very effectively, I think. Yeah, that wraps up our episode of color theory. I hope you enjoyed that. I know we went quite theoretical in the beginning, but I think it's useful to kind of look at those concepts. Again, do we need that if we're going out and photograph? I think we can still photograph just with our intuition. But, you know, it's it's helpful to be aware of these concepts and study them a little bit um, without, again, without overthinking it too much. So that's it. That wraps up our episode on color, color theory, color and emotions, color and compositional elements, and some image reviews. I hope you enjoyed the episode. This is Daniel Sick with the Create Photography Podcast. Please subscribe and talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.